0: Oh man, this song. You know, I recently learned it's called Bugler's Dream. It was introduced in the 1968 Olympic Games. It gets me every time. I'm immediately filled with excitement, anticipation, pride. I'm not even sure what I'm proud of, but I know I feel it. Take a second. Think of a moment from your life that you're really proud of. As good as that memory was, I bet you this song made it even better, didn't it? I'm going to play you one more clip. You'll hear the full story later on in this episode, but I wanted to start with this bit from today's guest, former USA Women's Volleyball National Team member Cassidy Lichtman. This is her sharing with us a moment she'll never forget.
1: One of the the actual things that comes up for me in memories is I my very first tournament on the national team. We took a very young team to the Pan American Games in Mexico, and, and everybody thought we weren't going to even make it to playoffs. We weren't supposed to do well. And somehow we end up in the bronze medal match, and we play an amazing match against the Dominican Republic. And the entire tournament, the crowd's been against us. They were going to root for anybody who is isn't from a Latin American country, anybody who speaks Spanish over the U.S., and so we, you know, we'd start our bench would start the USA chant during a match, and ooh, it's just we just start coming in. <laughs> and so it takes a little <laughs> bit of pride to stay in that moment, and but it brings you closer together as a team because you go, it's it's us against the world right now. This is all we have. It's this kind of core group, and we're going to keep going in this together. And so we win the bronze medal match, and we are high on life. Like this is that moment of triumph where it feels incredible, and. After every match, we, um, you know, come together and we do a USA cheer and we applaud the fans, even if nobody is fans of, are fans of ours. (laughs) So we do this and we applaud the fans. And then all of a sudden, somewhere in the arena, we hear it start and it goes, USA, USA. And this arena of Mexican fans starts chanting for us. Like they recognize you know, that we didn't lose that pride, that we kind of kept fighting for wow. it the entire time through, it, we played great volleyball, all of that. And so it was a moment where they kind of put their own pride aside and and recognized it. Um, and, so I, and I'll never forget, you know, that it was kind of like goosebumps raising moment.
0: Hello, world. What is up? Welcome to the Feelings Lab. I'm your host, Matt Forte. And on today's episode, we're talking about pride. like to think I'm capable of many a great things, but without question, no debate, I am no athlete. Nestled away somewhere in the depths of my parents' basement is a box filled with all my participation trophies from my adolescent athletic career, each one signifying that if I was number one in anything, it was showing up and being around throughout the 93, 94, and 95 Westchester Youth Soccer League seasons. Concerned not with winning or losing, these trophies exist solely to state games happened, and you better believe I was there when they did. Now, I get it. Especially within the context of my assembled guests and experts, that seems like an awfully weird flex. But as much as I joke about these trophies now, I distinctly remember actually being really proud of them at the time. I had one other trophy from a chess club match, which is a whole other complicated story, and I don't really think I earned that one, but that's neither here nor there. The point is it felt nice to flesh out the shelf. Film, TV, and pop culture tend to depict pride as reserved for the best of the best, creme de la creme, and that's fine. But every day, everybody is climbing their own mountain. And rather that mountain is your Everest story substantially smaller mountain of less intimidating size, the gratification of making it to the top is universal. But is there a sweet spot? Can you feel too much pride? What causes the exhilaration of triumph to give way to hubris? To borrow what I believe is a fantastic line from my co-host, Danielle. Pride feels like it can be a real tightrope emotion, poison or cure, depending on the dose. See, told you it was a good line. Thankfully, I'm joined once again by some super smart doctors and experts today, including a bona fide, actually pretty incredible athlete, actually. Uh, Dr. Alan Cowan, Daniel Credit Cobb, Dr. Dacher Keltner are all here, thank goodness. And a real treat, today's guest, two-time All-American and academic All-American at Stanford, a professional volleyball player for Athletes Unlimited, chairperson of the Volleyball Player Executive Committee, former member of the USA Volleyball Women's National Team, and founder of PATH an organization that seeks to harness the power of professional athletes to positively impact young people. Please welcome to the show the great truly great. Cassidy Lickman is here, everybody. My goodness, Cassidy, thank you so much for doing this. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great. That was a very nice intro. (laughs) Um, So I appreciate it. I'm happy to be here. Uh, We're super, super happy to have you with us. It's awesome for you to be here. Thank you again. Uh, I'm excited to dive into this one, guys. As always, we always talk about uh, that space between the light and dark side of an emotion. But Danielle, you really hit the nail on the head with that tightrope bit Uh, and, and just how fine a line I think it is. Were you quoting someone or is that a Cobb original right there. Where's that from? Oh,
2: that is just, you know, the, the ever rambling skills of my soul, my friend. Um, oh, <laughs> no, man. I, think, I think where I'm really curious to learn today with everybody more about pride, especially from our, our, our go team of scientists is I I think of pride in a way that I almost get confused by because I feel like there's on one side of pride is this kind of self-love and appreciation and a and a, re- a recognition of your value which is like a beautiful thing for the, for the soul. And then I look on the other side of it and it like tips over that tightrope I was talking about to like this bombastic hubris, arrogant super ego space. And I think it's like is what's the the healthy way to cultivate uh, the, the the healthy part of those emotions and not the kind of feeding of the dark side. And Cassidy, you work with PATH and really building these mindset skills for athletes. So I'm so curious what your advice is to folks that are doing their individual best, but are doing team stuff as well. It's like, how do you work the power um, while staying in the center line?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're you're absolutely right that as an athlete, you have to have that confidence and that, um, and some of that comes from knowing your past accomplishments and the work that you've put into it. So it's important to have that behind you when you go out to play. Um, but there is a big potential pitfall there, and so one of the examples that made me think of was, you know, on the national team, um, a big part of our culture is emphasizing being great learners, and so you think what that means, you know, in in that context is that you're asking some of the people who are the best in the world at what they do to change and to when you change something you're going to get worse at it before you get better um and so there are two ways to, to take that one is i'm the best you know i'm not i'm not gonna you know, get worse i'm not gonna make mistakes and, and look silly out there or and so you have pride in you know your accomplishments and, and what you've achieved as an athlete so up to that point. The other way to take it is, I'm going to have pride in the fact that I'm a great learner, that I'm always mm-hmm. progressing, that I'm always getting better. And so for me, the the biggest uh, question or indicator of kind of how healthy that pride is, it's not necessarily whether or not you're proud, but what are you proud of? And you know, are you proud of what you've done and what you've accomplished, or or how you've done it? And I think those are two you know different ways to take it.
2: That's really cool. Cause I'm hearing you say that like growth is your strongest mes- muscle as an athlete.
1: Yes. 100%. That's like that's so your cool. biggest job. And you can say, so you can think of it like that. Is my biggest job winning a gold medal or is my biggest job getting better every day? And so when I think about it, it's, it's best and healthiest to think about how can I have pride in the things that I have full control over because I don't have full control over whether or not, I get a, I get a gold medal. But I do control how I come into the gym every day and, and how I'm working and how I'm practicing. And so having pride in that process, I think, is is a better way, you know, in terms of mindset to go about it every day.
0: I love that. I love that so much, because I think pride is most easily ascribed to those big triumphant moments. Right. The, like getting the medal and so on and so forth. But to hear that perspective of how important it is in finding pride uh, in everything, not just in those big moments. And also in spite of defeat, I imagine that has to be a really important tool set as an athlete to, to, to take a loss and still be proud of how you performed. Is that a muscle that takes time for you to build? Or did you always have that in you or did you have to find that over time?
1: I think a little bit of both. I think, um, I was a pretty kind of focused kid. And so I really wanted to, to get better every day. Um, I do think also to your point right there about kind of the triumphant moment, I think that is very fleeting. And that's a danger that Mm we have as athletes in particular, because it's, it's so well-defined, you know, you win, you get on the top of the podium, you get, you know, this huge celebration and we chase that it's a high, right? It's such a great, incredible feeling. Um, But if that's all you're trying to get, then what happens and this happens all the time is you go and you win a gold medal and that feeling lasts, you know, that night, a week, a month. And now what, you know, what do I, yeah. now do I have to just chase the next high? How do I get higher than that? Um, So I think again, going back to, am I really focused on just that one moment that's going to last me this much of my life? Or am I focused on, you know, the four years leading up to it, all the work I put in my relationships with other people, you know, all, all of those things, like, can I be proud of that whole thing? and and how I grew as a person that's going to continue on past that. um, Or do I only want that high of that one moment, which is pretty great, to be honest.
0: Oh, go on. What were you going to say, Danielle?
2: (laughs) I was just so I've always been fascinated by this. I, I did some work for Nike for a while and hearing that the game is won or lost before you step on the court, just that idea of practice and what it is to like train your being and train kind of in train with the team. I'm so curious that what you just said made me think like uh, there's the moments before the court and then what do you do? What rituals or practices do you have with yourself right after? I know celebration is a big part of completing the cycle, but I'm I'm so curious. I've never been able to ask someone that before. What do you do after to kind of prepare in the best way for what does come next and the inevitable kind of, and yet preparing for the next rise?
1: Yeah. You know, what's interesting is I've always felt like, um, I look back at the match and go, okay, what what should I have done better? And that can sound like a super self-critical thing, but I feel like a difference between a loss and a win is that in a loss, I'm thinking about it right away. What should I have done differently? And in a, with the win, maybe I'm thinking about it the next day. You know, it's not as urgent. But um, mm. but to the point I was just talking about, I think that that is indicative of kind of the way that I felt about the process. Going, okay, I just won this huge thing, or you know, a match, whatever it was. Now, okay, how am I gonna get to the next, you know, level of my own kind of growth and development? Um, and and seeing you know, how, how did I get to this point?
0: I'm I'm fascinated to know, Alan, is and I know it's hard to replicate in the lab whatever the feeling is of of winning a gold medal, but talking about how uh, Cassidy just said that like the victory is fleeting, but the loss Uh, uh, or the the loss that you think about it right away, but the win you're not thinking about till later down the road. You know, in studying brain activity and mapping all these emotions, have you been able to chart and see that exact activity and see people respond in that way before?
3: I don't know if there's that many studies of the neuroscience of pride that really show that. Um, There's definitely studies in psychology uh, that demonstrate that when you're proud and you bring people along with you, Um, you tend to be more admired. It tends to increase group cohesion. There's pride in self, pride in country, um, pride in, you know, family, all these different sources of pride. Um, I know probably in a team sport, uh, pride in self is a negative for, for many teams. (laughs) If you, if you can't bring the team along with you, you're not going to perform. Um, and, uh, the opposite of pride is shame. So, uh, Pride is involved in kind of an expanded posture. Shame is involved in kind of a contracted posture. Um, And uh, yeah, that's what psychology studies have really focused on more is the expression of pride and the expression of shame as self-conscious emotions. They're really, really complex. Um, So last week we talked about desire. Desire is in some ways very simple. Pride Mm -hmm. involves many different brain systems. There's kind of a social salience aspect. There's a hierarchy aspect. There's a reward aspect. There's a self-consciousness aspect. Um, And so, I think it's going to take us a while to really understand the neuroscience of pride.
0: Is it fair to say that that's been challenging in creating your maps and mapping emotion? This has been one of the harder ones for you guys to nail down?
3: In some ways, uh, yes. In some ways, no. So, (laughs) there's a very, very distinctive bodily expression of pride, expanded uh, posture, you know, raising your arms. um, And the world expert on that is our guest from two weeks ago, Jess Tracy, Hmm. who has done studies of Olympic athletes in different countries and Paralympic athletes in different countries who are blind um, and shown that whether you're blind or sighted, you form this expression. It's not something that's learned visually, right? It's something that seems to be innate. And then you see this in non-human animals too, especially you know chimps, gorillas, you see chest thumping. Um, and so, there's very distinctive expressions to study that. Um, and you see pride being the opposite of shame. You see this around the world. So. Um, these things make it easy to to study pride and shame. Um, and Stacker has done many of those studies, as I'm sure you can detail.
0: So hang on real quick. Was that Jess's study that uh, revealed that it's it's an innate thing and didn't observe it in uh, blind individuals who hadn't been able to witness it?
3: Yes. So that was Jess's study. Um, she went around the world, observed Olympic athletes uh, in <laughs> and Paralympic athletes and just showed that Paralympic athletes, when they win, show an expanded posture, when they lose, show a contracted
0: posture. That's so amazing. And I just hand to gut. so I was was reading Wikipedia, because I go real deep in my research for this show. (laughs) And I uh, (laughs) in Wikipedia, that was one of the things that stood out to me, was I found that bit where the behavior is innate in that this study, and I didn't see just, that's awesome. Um, And that was one of the questions I wanted to ask, is is why do we think the pride is so deeply baked into the fibers of our being? Why is it innate? And I was hoping to hear what Dak kind of, uh, figured out about that or observed or read about that or thinks about that.
4: Yeah. You know, and, and I love, uh, Danielle and Cassidy's introduction, as we think about pride together, it's, it's one of these complicated emotions. It's a typo, right? How do we misuse it? How does it, how does it benefit ourselves and the collectives that we're part of? And that really is the answer that we're arriving at about why pride, right? Um, which is, A lot of people don't like believing this or or really fail to see this, but we fold in the hierarchies in our social lives. Um, There are hierarchies for preschoolers and grammar schoolers, of course, middle schoolers. Once we enter in the workplace, it's just a a sort of a heuristic way in which we organize ourselves. We have differences in rank Um, almost in every context around the world. And you need mechanisms that signal to each other, like, this is my place, right? Cassidy's a better volleyball player than me. I'll defer to her on the volleyball court, probably most <laughs> other places as well. Uh, and, you know, that's how we collaborate. And that's what pride does, right? Pride is this really subtle, uh, as Alan was saying, this emotion by which we signal to other people, right? Right. I know how to do things well here. I have elevated status. Follow me. Uh, Imitate me. And there are studies that show we'll imitate people who are showing pride. Uh, And then the real problems arise. So it helps us sort of keep hierarchy solid in in the groups that we belong to. And then the real difficulties arise with what Jess Tracy has called uh, uh, hubristic pride. And, you know, Cassidy's description of pride was so interesting. And this is where emotions are. Really fascinating, which is what are they about? Right. And her experience of of pride was like, am I growing? Did I did I do things well on the court? Did I, I sort of compliment my teammates? But hubristic pride is, am I better than everybody? Am I naturally gifted at this? Those are sort of the thoughts that run through that experience. And that's where trouble arises, you know, where pride gets us into trouble.
0: I forget what I was watching recently, but Cassidy, there was something I and I was watching that you were and You were talking about growing up around the sport, around volleyball, getting comfortable playing with older athletes. And as Dagger's talking about how your uh, interpretation of pride and how you, you uh, process and experience pride, I'm curious how much of that came from uh, growing up and playing around these older athletes and, and learning from their wisdom and observing them and how much of that came from that part of your life.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of it probably came from that. I mean, and, and to this point, like it probably kept a little bit of that hubristic pride down because I was around people who were, who were also good. I was always aware kind of, I could, I might be a big fish in a small pond, but like there's a whole ocean out there. Um, and it's a, and it's a problem. You know, one of the ways it becomes a problem with with young athletes or young people who are good at anything is that, uh, when somebody tells you over and over again, you're great at this or you're a natural at it or whatever, it becomes your identity, right? And so then you grow up and and everything about you is, you know, all boiled mm. down to, am I successful on the court? And so when you see athletes, you know, choke or or get tight in those mom- those big moments, there's so much of that is because every success or failure on the court is a success or failure of me as a human being. And you're trying to mm. avoid that, that shame that that we're talking about as the opposite of, of pride. And so, I think a lot of that, you know, for me was kind of growing up and going, okay, I'm, I'm a volleyball player and I for sure identify as that, but A, I have other things I identify as and B, I know that there are other great players around me and I'm just kind of trying to continue to up my level. Who were you playing
4: with?
1: uh, I played with, I played with anybody who would let me on a court. Uh, My mom and her friends when they were, you know, when they were younger, uh, the 18s and under team when I was 14 or 15, my brother's team, my
0: older brother's teams. Uh-huh. Wow. That's amazing. I participated I'm... with uh with a lot of uh soccer pl- no I'm kidding, I was going back to my participation trophies. <laughs> I, I can't well, connect yeah, exactly <laughs> I, I participated in watching the Olympics, I watched a lot of them. I participated in that. I uh, I'm a big participator. Oh. I've been hearing trophies all my life. <laughs> um, so, that's amazing. Daniel, that what were you the, about to say? Yeah, go for yeah,
2: it. Yeah, well, so I'm curious. I get all I get all antsy in my seat when I get excited about ideas, so forgive me, guys. <laughs> 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 um, I like hearing that shame is the opposite of pride makes sense to me. But then something that I've held in my head, like, and this is where Alan, I look to you for the actual mapping of this and the true relationship of it. But pride and humility seem really closely linked too, in a way that isn't always intuitive, but that does you do kind of live into that. And Cassie, one of the things I was super inspired about when I was reading Mm. and watching some of the past stuff is like Julie Foudy talking about me and we and how you need both. It's not actually all about, it's just the we, I'm nothing. It's like, you got to have both. And Matt, even like, you're like, I was, I was there, even if I wasn't on the field or whatever. It's like that one minute player is as important as a starter because you're like, there's joy. And, and like, this role is good with me. And I I thought that was beautiful. And then you actually retreated uh, your stuff with Doug Baldwin too, the Super Bowl champ talking about like, the question he asks is how can I serve the person next to me? How do I get better myself and how do I get them better? And it's that, that idea of pride and humility going together. And I'm, I'm curious about how that actually works.
3: Well, I mean, we see pride mm-hmm. and humility together when you're admiring somebody, right? Um, so there's this mm-hmm. feeling when you're listening to Martin Luther King's speeches uh, that you're part of something bigger. So you feel odd, but you also feel a pride and sort of uh, the, in your involvement in sort of being in civilization as a, as a human. Um, I mean, that's like the broadest kind of pride and awe that you can feel together. Um, but, uh, you know, pride in country, pride in family, all of these things involve kind of humbling yourself to a broader group. Um, and shame is really when you feel like you've done something terribly wrong. <laughs> you know that, that's sort of more guilt, or, or you, there's something wrong with you. Um, and you know, humility is, is is sort of having pride but not bragging. So it, I think they can. I think humility and shame are actually quite different, in my view.
4: Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and
3: we see that in people's kind of when, when they're reporting experiences in those things as well
4: and it's interesting i think cassidy's example brought it up and it's really terrific question that the science hasn't gotten to danielle like pride shame humility and i think humility is about collectively if you're part of a team or part of a discipline or like you face things that are vast and you recognize their power right you can be humble vis-a-vis a storm or a terrific team that you're playing and it seems i'd be curious to hear Cassidy's thoughts about the place of humility in Olympic competitions, right? It's it's almost as if yeah. as a, a collection of teammates, you're recognizing the wonder that you're facing, right? What's vast about it and bringing each other along to, to face it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the, the team setting, probably any team setting, but in this case, sports team setting is the perfect place to answer the questions that you're asking, Danielle. And, you know, yeah. once again, I, I have to have... Pride in myself stepping onto a court. I have to believe in myself and and continue that kind of positive self-talk in my mind, or you know, it's gonna take a bad turn for me. But I also cannot believe that I am the only important person in the room because my teammates are going to have to perform perform also. And if they lose their pride, they they lose their confidence, then our, our team's not gonna do well either. And so I think it's important you have to recognize both of those things in order to be to be a great team and to have that culture. Um, and in, in the case when you're going up against, you know, the best in the world, I think A, you have to have the pride to think that you can be the best in the world, which is a very large statement. Um, but also recognize that the world's really good at this stuff too. And so I think part of international competition is having the humility to understand that everybody's really, really good. Um, and so we always, mm. uh, it was interesting the way that we were taught to frame competition. It was Michael Gervais, the foreign psychologist who taught mm. us that the origin of the work compete is to strive together. And so it's not necessarily, I need to have so much pride in myself that I'm, that we're going to, to destroy Brazil when we play them, but let me have respect for what they do. And as mm. they continue to get better and progress, they're going to push us to get better and progress too. So it's almost like there's pride in ourselves, but also in kind of the entire process of
0: you know mm-hmm. competing at that right. level. Something that's I've heard really you cool. uh, mention a couple of times now that I'm really uh, interested in is the significance of confidence and what confidence can do and how it can shift the experience of pride. Someone who's overly confident and loses may feel that uh, defeat more than someone who wasn't that confident to begin with. Um, you, you know how how important, how significant is confidence leading up to achieving the feeling of pride and that's open to whoever wants to jump into that. I'd love every perspective, frankly but not everyone at once. <laughs> <laughs> Dacher, what do you got for me? How important is confidence?
4: Oh, it's, it's, you know, we're, we're in such an interesting space where, you know, some emotions you really feel uh, most of their occurrences are pretty good for humanity and, and our efforts to do well together, like compassion or, you know, or, or all, uh, which we talked about in confidence, pride, uh are are complex, as we said. And I think that um, you know, there's there's a literature that aligns with with Cassidy's statement, which is you you want to cultivate a sense of confidence in kids, you know, and mm. if they just feel like they have trust in themselves uh, and feel like they can throw their best at anything and then not worry about the outcome, that's good news mm. for a child's development. Um but at the same time, and I think what we should be asking ourselves About this, which is there's a huge literature on overconfidence, you know, where we're convinced we're always right. We're convinced we have the best answer. We're convinced we know which way the stock market will go or how, you know, a a foreign intervention will go, whatever they can. And that's really bad news, right? And uh, my hunch is if we, uh, if Cassidy gave us some reflection, she would notice that, you know, the great athletes. Uh, they don't get into this space of overconfidence. They're always thinking about subtle ways to improve. You know, when I hung around the Golden State Warriors a little um, through, because they were interested in the very science that we're talking about, and their motto is compassion, joy, competition, and mindfulness. Uh, you know, watching Steph Curry, man, that guy, he's not overconfident about stuff. He's shooting 103 pointers at the end of his, his practice, and just thinking about how to make it better. And there was like this humility about it Also, that'd be my take is uh, is confidence
0: is good, but watch out for that fine line. Right. Mm. It's, a, it's a balancing act. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think it's a common phrase in sports. We talk about, you know, the line between confidence, not talkiness. You know, can we walk into the gym mm. knowing? Like I always say, you know, I walk into every gym. Mm. I never think that I'm the best person there. Even when like demonstrably I might be. But I always walk in knowing I can hang. And so... If I'm going to step mm. on the court, okay. And, and the same with, you know, any room that I walk into. And so it's like, okay, I'm going to step on the court. I don't know if I'm going to win or lose if I'm better than everybody else, but I'm gonna, going to assume that I'm at least, you know, capable of being here. And then, you know, I'm going to do my best and we'll see where the chips fall.
0: Fun question. Do you ever have to, because uh, a lot of people do this, they pump themselves up. They have to boost their confidence or, or sort of manufacture that confidence through music. Do you have a go-to pumped up song? Oh, I. Do you use music at all?
1: I I have. I mean, definitely. I don't even know if it's if it's lyrics wise or just uh, or just the beat. But for sure, one of the things I definitely do before every match, um, you know, at some point is, you know, a lot of people use visualization. So I visualize myself making a couple like really great plays, you know, not just standard, but like Mm -hmm. really incredible, like sports center kind of plays um so i'm and that's right before we go out to play and we go okay and and it's kind of like things that i'm like things that i'm capable of doing um so that's the mindset i try and get into right before we're going out there
0: it's pretty awesome uh and and i bring that up because i'm curious about that idea of um of, of manufacturing uh confidence to sort of yeah. uh you know realize and, and manifest pride in a way um and i only know of good examples uh, I'm sure if we think for more than five seconds, we can find some bad examples as well out there in the world. Um, but what does the science show us about that, about people who uh, manufacture that confidence in their performance after the fact versus someone who didn't perhaps partake in that ritual or 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 that that series of events, didn't listen to music?
4: Well, you know, we're just start- it's a really neat question. And I think, you know, one of the great things from the scientist's perspective is um, athletics and sports are old, right? There, you go back to the Olympics, it's 700 BC. The ball court games in Mesoamerica are an, another thousand years older than that. I mean, this is a very old tendency for humans to do, to engage in this stuff that, you know, we walk in and we feel confident. We kind of take down the cocky person, whatever it is. Um, and, and I think I love the example, the question about rituals, which is, When we put ourselves on the line, um, part of that is, is challenging and unnerving. And we resort to to these rituals that are part of sports as well, that give us a sense of place and reliable predictability and confidence. And there's a little bit of work on it, um, The deeper insights come from the practitioners like Cassidy. So,
0: yeah.
2: So something really cool that Cassidy said that I've just been kind of rolling in me since you said it is this idea of like the Brazil example of how like you're including the other team. I think what's so cool is I'm reflecting on like there's that saying about the Olympics, it's war without the killing. And I'm reflecting on this idea of if it's it is this ancient thing and how beautiful that. It's competition within a larger frame of cooperation, which is let's all play in this way together and celebrate the human, like the human drama of what it is to kind of like adversity and overcoming. And I think that's part of what pride is for me, too. It's what did you overcome to be in this place? And what's Mm. the meaning of that? Not just for you.
0: That is a very beautiful (laughs) sentiment. Yes, I agree. Um, Something... Uh, I I think this is sort of adjacent to what we were talking about uh, a moment ago. And Danielle, you and I were having a conversation uh, earlier this week, uh, just speaking about manufacturing pride, but also the authenticity Mm. of the emotion and and authenticity and pride. And I'm just having this confluence of all these different things we've kind of discussed. Um, But you were uh, saying the other day, what what was we were talking about the authenticity of pride and inauthentic pride? I I remember uh, you blowing my mind with something that you were saying. (laughs)
2: Yeah, actually, it's to bring in our invisible member again, Jess Tracy and her work, because what what blew me away about her work is she put uh, science and language to something I remember feeling so deeply, which is like she talked about authentic versus holistic pride. And the way she talked about authentic to echo what Alan was already saying, Dakar was already saying, it's like when you see people in authentic. it's like they're calm and friendly and more creative and they're into the like kind of entrainment and you know all that with the team and that real kind of deeper connection and then what you see with folks like that too is that i mean they she did this great study that was literally just like it was it's it's like the simplest thing this is what i love about humans is we can be so simple when we just like look at that level of relief but she said that uh she gave these cognitive cognitive tests to people. And she told some people that they did like really, really good on it. And that basically was the pride thing. So you do that. And then those people, even if it was like the simplest test, like will persevere for 2 times longer because of what that does for them, that kind of energy expansion. And so what I think is so interesting about that is the beauty of pride on that light side. But like we were talking about the dark side, and this is something that broke my heart when it happened. I was a big Lance fan. So Lance Armstrong crushes it at the 93 and 95 Tour de Frances. He beats cancer. I mean, he is, you know, Joseph Campbell, hero's journey on the world stage. And then what I think is powerful that she, you know, kind of pointed to in her study to help me understand what happened is like the pressure to sustain that kind of glory and triumph can get to you. Yeah. Um, it depends on what your motivation is, what your training is. Cassidy growing up in that environment trained her to be different when she hit the peak of that podium. And so I was like, Oh wow. That is what drove him to doping is it's like this deep kind of twist of pride. And he's like our Icarus. And even to like, kind of, Take it out of that epic frame and look at like my current sports love, which is Ted Lasso in the game. I look at Nate, and we're also heartbreaking because our brother rose. Spoiler
0: spoiler great. alerts for those yeah, watching apologies. Ted Lasso. It's been a
2: couple of weeks. Come on, it's fair um, game. I just wanted to put the
0: disclaimer out there. Please, as you uh, were, I just as people on the internet, it is our responsibility to preface it with the words enough, "spoiler alert." But okay. I agree with you wholeheartedly as you were with Nate, please continue. What,
2: what's so rough is we see Nate come from like, you, you get to see his upbringing. You know, he's had a lot of crushing in his life. You see him getting recognized by his mentor and rising up and contributing. And then it turns dark and it's like so crushing to see him in that last shot of the season. You watch his hair growing whiter. You can just see it happening. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Not, not, and at the risk of turning this into Cassidy, a, Ted yeah, a Ted Lasso podcast. Lasso,
2: no, I, I know Cassidy's a Ted Lasso fan. You are?
0: So great. Huge, yeah. Alan Decker, are you guys Ted
1: Lasso fans? Yeah, definitely.
3: definitely. Fantastic. Fantastic. I don't yeah. think right. I've gotten that far. So oh, yeah.
0: no. I, I guess I'll skip to right. the second season. <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, in no, my defense, I gave you
0: the warning, uh, and you stuck around. So I closed my ears. <laughs> no, I
4: unplugged I my headphones. Good man. <laughs> I want to ask Cassidy a question, because she's been right there at these... Really, once in a lifetime experience is being in the Olympics, and I was talking to a friend of mine who um, is doing his di- dissertation work on uh, e- emotions in sports, which is fascinating. And pick up basketball, and he was talking about how you know the the pride in pick up basketball, and you're playing, and you're you got confidence. You show up at the court, you know, you got to prove yourself, uh, and then it goes well. And he says there's almost this. It's where pride becomes something collective or transcendent, you know, or suddenly hmm. through the course of the game and, and the playing together with teammates, it almost becomes like a joy or an ecstasy or collect, we might call it collective pride. And I have to ask Cassidy, I mean, she's been to the Olympics and, you know, had this experience. How would you talk about where pride takes you hmm. in moments of triumph with team? What does that feel like?
1: Yeah, I think it's I think it's huge. I mean, I, I think when you're in an arena, it's sort of like, listen, nobody wants to cheer for the United States. So when we go play other places, the arena is against you largely. And so there's this there's this really incredible thing that happens. Um, one of the one of the actual Things that comes up for me in memories is I my very first tournament on the national team. We took a very young team to the Pan American Games in Mexico,
4: uh-huh.
1: and and everybody thought we weren't going to even make it to playoffs. We weren't supposed to do well, and somehow we end up in the bronze medal match. And we've just we've just been playing like with this incredible you know sense of pride and effort this this, this entire time, and we play an amazing match against the Dominican Republic, and the entire tournament the crowd's been against us. They are going to root for anybody who is from a Latin American (laughs) country, anybody who speaks Spanish over the U S because they have pride. They have pride in themselves Mm -hmm. and their region. And that's how it manifested itself. And so we, you know, we'd start our bench would start the USA chant during a match and we just just start coming in. (laughs) And so it takes a little bit of pride to stay in that moment, and but it brings you closer together as a team because you go, it's it's us against the world right now. This is all we have is this kind of core group, and we're going to keep going in this together. And so we win the bronze medal match, and we are high on life. Like this is that moment of triumph where it feels incredible. And after every match, we um, you know come together and we do a USA cheer and we applaud the fans even if nobody is fans of are fans of ours. <laughs> so we do this and we applaud the fans. And then all of a sudden somewhere in the arena, we hear it start and it goes USA, USA. And this arena of Mexican fans starts chanting for us. Like they recognize, you know, that we didn't lose that pride that we kind of kept fighting for wow. it the entire time through that. We played great volleyball, all of that. And so it was a moment where they kind of put their own pride aside and And recognize it. Um, And and I'll never forget, you know, that kind of like goosebumps raising moment. Um, But yeah, it really does feel like you're in a space and all you have is each other. And if you lose kind of the pride of that group or the identity of that group, then, you know, you're kind of amongst the wolves. So it brings you closer and closer um, to those people that you have with you.
0: One, that's an incredible story. Too Danielle, were you about to say something? Because <laughs> <laughs> yes, I had a, I had a question, but I heard you, and I don't want to cut you off if you have a question, too. No,
2: well, I, I'm happy to defer, but I, I think what showed up for me is I was like, oh, like, dacker asking the question we can only ask Cassidy. I think, too, it's like you are so connected to the performance of your body and the way you're tuned yeah. into that and tuned yeah. into the team kind of as a larger body or in that stadium, the human mm-hmm. body of that collective. What does it feel like to someone who body is an instrument? What does it feel like to feel these things? I'm so curious to live inside
1: of that. Um, I, I think just all the kind of the excitement and the butterflies that you get in a, in a big moment, but just like rushing through you when you're like, okay, I have this in my, in my upper chest, through my arms. Um, the, just, yeah, like I just a full rush through your body. Like I could just go out and play ten more matches right now. Let's go. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's that moment. And then again, kind of how much you love that person next to you who was in it with you, and it just strengthens those. I mean, it's why I think teammate relationships are, you know, potentially probably even stronger than a lot of friendships where it's like no matter what, like my teammates from Stanford, my teammates from the national team. my family for life because you've been in that moment together you felt that feeling together you felt the bad feelings together too um so that when you get to that moment it's like this is yeah this all of that excitement is just kind of rushing through um yeah through all of me
0: yeah did you miss any of that? Or was it present in a different form as you took on with Athletes Unlimited Volleyball, where one, now you're you're on your home court, right? You're in America now, which was a huge deal. But okay, so that world against us kind of vibe that's gone that's got to re- be replaced by something else and also to just the very nature of athletes unlimited where your team can fluctuate and change how has that dynamic impacted all of those incredible things that you just described to us
1: yeah it is interesting i mean i think definitely uh because of the format you don't have the kind of culmination into okay the the team championship so you're playing um you know for your own individual place and but i think match to match it's still the same thing you still Get that, you know, small high of, of victory. Um, and then for me, there's a whole other side of it, which is the the biggest pride that I have in that is what are we building, what are we creating that's gonna live beyond my volleyball career, hopefully, you know, for the next generation coming up, because I didn't have professional volleyball to look up to when I was 14 years old. Um, so to me, there's kind of both of those senses of I love winning. I always want to try and chase that feeling. Um, and at, when I walk into that gym, like, how cool is this thing that I didn't know could exist?
0: Yeah. Which is, and that, that just ties into you getting your tops trading card earlier this year to talk about you didn't know could exist. Yeah. I was reading an interview where you said, like, I, I had it was a dream that I didn't know I was supposed to have, which I thought was a really <laughs> wild way to phrase that. And that just must have been a, uh, I can't think of another word than surreal for you to, for that moment. What was it like to hold your tops playing card? But
1: yeah, I honestly did not know how cool it was going to be until I physically had it. And I, <laughs> yeah. and it looks like, you know, the baseball cards my brother and I had growing up. And I oh, went, oh, I've, and, and when, you know, my friend's daughter got it and, mm. you know, she's looking at it and going, okay, here, 45 people, women that she can, she can, live up and she wants now she has that dream that I didn't know I was supposed to have, but she wants yeah. to be on a tops card. And so, yeah, once I physically held it, I went, wow, that's, that's really cool.
0: <laughs> Does it come with good
2: gum now or is the gum still... <laughs> <laughs>
0: I don't think it comes asking with the gum. important questions Danielle what's the gum situation <laughs> I appreciate everyone, the dream I'm not thing. the doctor here <laughs> <laughs> you're you're my official gum expert is what she, and we're adding that to the title Comfort zone. <laughs> uh all right well, definitive answer what's the gum like I don't
1: think it comes with gum I mean <gasps> you, they were they were like uh, this was we're a, showing it was a age. limited edition you had to order it, you know, from Tops. So, but it w- was well. Athletes Unlimited softball was poor, but we were the first two sets to ever feature only women athletes. Before wow. that, they, they'd it's had so like bad. women in, in the Olympic sets and that kind of stuff. But to have one set that only had women in it was that was kind of a history making thing. Actually, congratulations. Of, yeah. Yeah, That's awesome. congratulations! Yeah, congratulations! Seriously.
2: And. and uh neka neko mgumake who did all of the incredible work around um equity specifically for women's basketball but she's one of your athletes um with path and i'm curious about the we've talked about all these different versions of pride today the pride that comes from something like that this other kind of contribution at the gender social moving the real human needle forward how does that feel for you as as a, as a huge presence in that movement? I mean, I, as a woman, am grateful to you for that, even though I uh, was even crap on my college class team. So I can't really call myself an athlete. <laughs> Certainly not anymore. But, <laughs> but as a woman, you know, I bow to you
1: for that. And how does that feel? Um, yeah, I think it's... Um, you know, we're talking about kind of how does it feel in your body. Like it's a deeper kind of pride where I think mm-hmm. it's, you know, especially as you grow up, you're a young athlete and you're again, kind of chasing the high of winning and, and all of that. And then maybe you get to the point where, Hey, okay, I'm proud of some of the accomplishments that I've had, the teams that I've been on, you know, graduating from Stanford. I was like, okay, I'm proud of my contributions to this program. But I think it gets to another whole other level when you go, okay, I'm out I'm of position where I can affect change at scale. Um, you know, I sit on the board of USA volleyball, which has hundreds of thousands of members. And you go, okay, well, I can, you know, affect their gender policy. You know, I can affect the, the initiatives that they're going to. I can, you know, put professional volleyball, help put professional volleyball on television for young girls and, and create tops card sets and all of that. Um, I think it's just a much deeper thing to go, okay, this is, this is building something that's going to last beyond me. It's going to affect people, you know, far beyond me, far beyond my teammates, um, but all of you know, the people who come up after me. And so I think it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of a lot deeper inside of me to go, okay, this is the real legacy. Nobody's going to remember whether or not I won gold medals or if I you know, won the state championship in high school.
0: Um, but
1: if 20 years from now, there are kids who are affected by the decisions that I'm making now, that's a pretty cool thing.
0: Was there a, uh, and you, you pretty much just answered this and told us the story of how you arrived there and, and decided to be the founder of PATH, but was there a catalyst? Was there an interaction with a particular kid or something that pushed you from, I should do this to, I'm doing this tomorrow, I'm starting?
1: Um, you know, it really was, part of it came from just knowing the um, the impact that, that you can have on a kid. You know, when I walk into a gym, I'm very cognizant of the fact that if I walk in to start coaching a kid... They're going to listen. But if I walk in and somebody gives them kind of the brand names of, oh, she played at Stanford, she played for the national team. They're going to listen a little bit differently. Um, and so I know that, that that's a thing and I wanted to use that, uh, for a different kind of impact. Um, and, and just meeting kind of other, like I met, I met Abby Wambach and, and Lisa Borders, who was the president of WNBA. And between us, I thought, well, we can call anybody in volleyball or basketball or soccer in the country, and you know they're going to pick up the phone at least. So, like, what can we do with that? That's a lot of power over a lot of kids who are all a little bit predisposed to what we have to say. And So, how do we kind of take all of these concepts that we're talking about and point them in the healthier directions, so that not only they're you know they are able to have pride in their team, but they're able to you know, contribute to that, but how do we help that then transfer? into, you know, being healthier members of society.
0: Yeah. For mm-hmm. sure. Well, I, I just thank you for the work that you're doing and for the for that organization. It's pretty amazing stuff. Uh we're we're getting into the home stretch. So I do got to wrap things up and not to pivot too hard here, but every single episode I make a point of asking Alan and putting him on the spot <laughs> to <laughs> explain away all the things that I've personified in my dog by telling me if science <laughs> has, in fact, observed any of the things we've discussed today. And we talk about, and I ask about parallels in the animal kingdom with our furry and not so furry friends. So, Alan, it is <laughs> that time again. What can you tell me about parallels? We, anything we've discussed today? Did anything flash in your brain? Anything that we've observed that you know will blow my mind? Well,
3: you know, pride's an easy one in some ways, uh, because you can look at high and low status individuals and our primate, uh, cousins. You can look at chimps. You can look at uh, gorillas. Gorillas literally have a chest beating behavior. So mountain gorillas will chest beat after they kind of win a, a battle. Um, Which is one of the most hilarious behaviors. I think it's my favorite animal behavior because it's a full body expression with the vocalization, with the chest beating, and we see it in humans basically too. It's just so viscerally something we do. Super Bowl dance,
1: Um, yeah, touchdown (laughs) dance,
0: (laughs)
3: yeah. Um, And um, in chimps, we see you know basically alpha male expresses something like pride all the time, kind of running around uh, gesticulating wildly swinging really, uh, vis- you know, really, um, strongly around, uh, and you see pile erection. they look bigger, their posture is big as they're on, uh, walking around on two feet, which is funny to see. Uh, so, uh, yeah, really interesting parallels there. Um, we see parallels for shame as well. So after, uh, an animal is sort of victimized, kind of prostrates itself or slumps and kind of wants to make itself small, um. So, these, these parallels are clearly there. I think, yeah, oh. <laughs> strong. I, I think in in animals that don't have self-consciousness, as Jess Tracy was saying, mm. it's a little bit harder to draw right. the parallel um, for shame in uh in dogs there's something yeah. <laughs> they do slump um, but you know sometimes they do that to get usually uh, triggered
0: by the phrase what did you do <laughs> yes, what exactly. did you do repeatedly one, over and over and then they'll slump for that they i, I like figured. to hope
3: some dogs are <laughs> earnest about that but i think jess was a little bit <laughs> skeptical hey
0: man as much as i want to believe it like i said i'm gonna side with the science every time um any of those capuchin monkey stories oh go ahead saying. what do you got daniel
2: I was just saying I might side with my dog on this one when he when he was younger and his serve and return on tennis balls game was up there with Agassi. Um, I think he felt very proud. He's like <laughs> laying down belly on the grass. I'm going to take that as some, as some authentic pride.
0: There are definitely displays that read his pride sometimes. For sure. For sure. Uh, And not to go back to the well, but you told us about a phenomenal experiment involving capuchin monkeys last week, (laughs) Did any any of that feed into this? It sounds like a lot of this stuff we've observed naturally, but did we ever uh, do any kind of experiments? And I know this is not your devoted area of expertise. You're just a smart person, I'm asking this. So, don't
3: worry. (laughs) So, I talked about admiration, right? Which is a mix of like pride and awe. We feel admiration toward people we identify with, who we think are in the same group as us accomplishing things. And with capuchins, this is kind of the same experiment where they give them money and they can pay for things. One of the really funny findings <laughs> is that they're willing to pay for pictures of the alpha male.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Trading cards. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 100%? <laughs> Sometimes over, food,
3: over pornography, well, maybe not over pornography, that's their favorite they pay for But You know, <laughs> it's very interesting when you give capuchins this economy, uh, you really see what they value. And yes, the, the day when it's pictures of an alpha male, they like it's, uh. It's really powerful. I mean, there's this- It's there's like
2: monkey tiger beat.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: not to mix our animals. <laughs> Sorry, Alan, that's
3: not
0: scientific at all. Monkey are monkeys.
3: are monkeys.
0: Man, um, I, every time, you know what? I've just learned. I feel like there's a little bit more to that experiment you're gonna reveal every time I bring it up. I, I can't believe that uh, the second favorite thing is the photos of alpha males. That's wild. <laughs> it's incredible,
3: yeah. Um, And uh, it really shows Hang on one second.
0: Cassidy, just to catch you up, last week, Alan revealed (laughs) to us within this experiment (laughs) that the Capuchin monkeys, once given a currency, uh, developed a little society where they would in fact exchange it for monkey pornography. This was on our episode about desire. I then pivoted the podcast to talk about that for uh, conservatively 10 to 15 minutes. And so uh, now I'm learning (laughs) that they not only buy monkey pornography, they also have trading cards or posters of their- favorite alpha males, do they do anything once they obtain the, the photo? Do they train the fo- uh, trade the photos like cards or anything like that? Or no? Do they are they very possessive of it once they have it? Uh,
3: I don't think they, they give them the photos. I think they just present them. But that would be an interesting experiment as well if you give them <laughs> stuff to trade. So they're paying just to look at them. <laughs> yeah, just to look. Uh, they pay to see the alpha male. It's incredible.
0: I told you, this is a whole other podcast okay. we're going to start. I'm, I'm telling you, 100%, this is a whole other show. And humans do the same thing. <laughs> so, yeah, but we all know so that. Yeah. This monkey thing For is it. way cooler. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right, I gotta that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that with me, Alan. As always, I appreciate you indulging my my weird animal curiosities and answering that question to the best of your abilities. It's always awesome. Sadly, I gotta wrap things up. Uh, it's time to dim the lights in the feelings lab once more. But a big old, sincere, and heartfelt thank you to Cassidy for making time to hang out with us today and chat. Uh, we all really truly appreciate you being here and contributing to our show, sharing those incredible stories, being a part of this journey. It means a lot. Thank you. Uh, be sure to hit up pathsports.org to learn more about the amazing work Cassidy and your team have been doing. Also, of course, be sure to check out Athletes Unlimited, just like Cassidy said in March. Uh, and another massive thank you to my co-hosts and friends, Danielle, Dacker, and Alan, the trifecta of cultural perspective, expertise, and analysis in no particular order. Uh, there is literally no show without you. Sincerely, thank you, guys. Uh, and to those listening and watching, my goodness, thank you. All right. And hey, guess what? If you enjoyed hanging out with us today, we're going to be back next week. So do me a favor. Don't be shy. Tell the world. All right. Let everybody know. Give us a nice little review. Throw us a couple of stars. We love to see it. All right. Uh, next week, speaking of that, just in time for spooky season, we're talking about horror. I've got a feeling you don't want to miss that. Uh, if you have any questions you'd like answered, even if it's just about my trophies, feel free to email us at the feelings lab at Hume That's right here. Feelings lab at Hume.ai. Farewell for now from all of us at the Feelings Lab. I'm Matt Forte. Thanks again, everybody. Stay safe out there.